Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. This is episode 50 a number that I'm not sure we thought we would get to when we first started this podcast out almost two years ago. And you may have noticed that this is Dan Gingas, otherwise known as American Dan, and that I've gone a couple of episodes now without my English partner in crime, Dan Moriarty. And uh, we're about to explain to you why that's been. And so I'm really, really excited to have Dan Moriarty here with me today. Welcome back, partner. Thanks, Dan. How you doing, mate? Man, it's good to hear that accent again. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's the, the old vocal texture, right? Exactly. Vocal texture. It, it makes every podcast better. So Dan, other Dan, had stopped doing the podcast with me when he got a new job. And it's a pretty exciting job. Uh, so Dan, you want to share with our uh, audience what you've been up to? Absolutely. So it's, it's been about six months now that I've been here. But uh, so I was very sad to leave um, Hyatt. You know, I had a great five years there and really enjoyed uh, some of the, the projects and the people and obviously what we were doing in the social care perspective. Um, but I had an amazing opportunity to join the Chicago Bulls as their head of digital. So working for a professional sports team doing digital, it really doesn't get any better than that for me. You know, I've always been a big sports fan, always been a big digital fan. And being able to um, look you near know, not just at social, but uh, you know, kind of overarching digital content at our website, at our mobile app, at our email efforts. It's it's been a really interesting job and, and a very big change going from a more you know kind of traditionally focused brand to something like sports, where it's it's obviously a huge appetite for everything that we put out from our fan base. And so yeah, absolutely loving it. But you know, unfortunately, it did did mean that you know with with obviously the, the season schedule and the, the number of games that we have and the podcast it all kind of became a bit too much and i also felt you know moving away from it and and not being involved in kind of social care day to day i was getting to the point where some of the guests we were talking to were talking about things that i didn't feel uh, had the education level to kind of carry the conversation on but that i was incredibly proud that you've uh, you've managed to keep it going and you know who'd have thought you know two years ago i think when we were sitting in roti talking about the idea of having a uh a podcast, who'd have thought we'd get to 50 within, within two years then. So I think great achievement and good job to you, Dan. Well, you as well. I couldn't have done it without you. And uh, two Dan's are, will always be better than one. So, hey, I want to talk a little bit about this gig because it does sound awesome. I'm a big sports fan as well. And those of you that remember when we uh, interviewed uh, Kevin Sagey from the Cubs, I could barely contain my excitement during that interview. Um, so what's it like going from you know a job that was really almost exclusively social media to now having to look after multiple channels and, and kind of understand the impact of social um, as it pertains to the larger digital strategy? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been fun. Um, you know, in some ways, it's very similar. And in other ways, it, it's very, very different. You know, I, I think the, the similarities between the roles is, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I think the people that do people that do digital well, and, and under that, I'm going to include social and under social, I include social care, are the people who know how to take the tactics and apply it to what the business is trying to achieve. And you know, really kind of work backwards from an outcome rather rather than forwards from a possibility. 
And so in that way, it's very similar. My, my job at Hyatt was really focused around understanding what drives the business and, and then creating digital solutions, social solutions that kind of sat underneath that, which you know, it's obviously why we went so deep into social care was the impact that the experience has on the travel business and the, and the likelihood to rebook. In that sense, the balls is the same. You know, I'm spending a lot of time learning the sports industry, learning what, what drives the business. The way in which it's different and in a way of which is incredibly different again it's just the thirst that, that our fans have for content and experiences from us and traditional brands again especially from the social perspective or even from you know website or app you, you can't just build stuff and expect people to show up but but in sports it really feels like you can i always kind of joke that not long after i started we put out a tweet someone on my team put out a tweet that didn't have a link and it, it was a piece of content that was meant to be linking back to balls.com um, it was a news story, you know, it was a kind of a feature piece. It wasn't like breaking news or anything. Um, and they put up the tweet, but forgot to include the link at the back end of it. So it was, it was a, a tweet that was clearly meant to be a lead into something and then had a link and a, uh, had link text and a colon. And then after the colon, there was no, there was no URL. And before we realized that, which was, you know, three, four minutes until someone noticed it, by the time we went into Twitter to delete it, we'd already had about 80 retweets on a piece of content that was fundamentally broken. And that's kind of when I realized, um, you know, how different this, this role was going to be. And then, you know, not long after I started as well, we had, uh, Derek Rose was traded. And that was, I mean, I, I thought I'd lived through uh, some high volume social moments, uh, at Hyatt. I mean, this was, you, you couldn't keep up watching the Twitter notifications. It was, it was moving faster than your eyes could even comprehend. And I can't remember exactly what it netted out at, but it, it was, it was, you know, tens and tens of thousands of incoming tweets and messages over the course of an hour or so. Just absolutely kind of different level there. But, you know, I, I mean, again, the, the, the similarities keep me interested, which is, you know, using digital social to drive a bottom line. Um, and the differences are just kind of fun, you know, using a different part of your brain and, and having to think, um, you know, of a whole kind of different set of problems than I haven't had to before. You know, I don't want to talk too much about, about the bulls and kind of what we're doing, uh, there, to be honest, down, you know, obviously we want to get back to social care, but I think before we do it, it would be incredibly rude of me not to mention that you've had a pretty big couple of years as well. I mean, not only have you, have you changed jobs and, and got a kind of uh, great new opportunity, but you've written a book, a book about social care. Why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about that? Well, thank you. I guess it's good that the book's about social care and not about, say, basketball, because I actually know something about social care. Uh, so, yeah, um, very excited releasing a book called Winning at Social Customer Care, How Top Brands Create Engaging Experiences on Social Media. And uh, the book is really a compilation of everything that, you know, you and I originally and then and I in the last few episodes have learned from the incredible guests that we've had on this program. I mean, I feel so lucky to have met and spoken with and interviewed just some amazing people across all sorts of industries, large companies that everybody in the world has heard of, medium-sized companies, some smaller companies that you and I had never heard of before we interviewed them, but all kind of pedaling in the same direction in the sense of trying to be the best they can be for their customers in this world's most public customer service channel that is social media. And so as I reflected on on over four dozen interviews that we had done, I realized that there just was so much learnings 
that really needed to be encapsulated in a single place because obviously you can listen to these episodes one at a time and we really appreciate all the folks that do. But over a certain amount of time, it is really stunning how much we've learned. And and one of the things that struck me was that I can honestly say we learned something from every guest that we've had on the on the show. And obviously there are some episodes where we feel like, you know, when we're done recording, wow, that was an absolutely amazing episode and others where maybe we're not as confident about it. But I think we learned something from everybody because every business is different. Everybody's customers are different. But the thing that's consistent is that customer expectations are on the rise, that companies are starting to realize that they have to compete customer experience and that competing on price is a loser's game. And that social media being such a public channel is one of those great places to compete on experience. Because when you are helping customers, it's not just a one-to-one interaction, but you've got lots of people watching. As Jay Bear likes to say, it's a spectator sport. And so you actually can demonstrate your service and your customer experience to the entire world, which is just an incredibly powerful thing that, frankly, is unrivaled in any other channel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, I think at this point, it would be rude of me not to mention a conversation that you and I had God, a while ago now, probably at the start of this of this year, so at the start of 2016, where you first raised the idea of a book. Um, and I basically, in, in maybe not these words, but in so many words, told you I thought you were crazy and that there wasn't enough content in all of our podcasts for a book. And now today I sit here with a actual book in front of me with your name on it. And, uh, and as you say, a lot of the, the outputs from, from a lot of our great guests. And I have to take my hat off, tip my hat to you, Dan, and say kudos. This is not an insignificant amount of work that has gone into this and I'm very, very proud that you've been able to, uh, to A, find the time and B, pull this together, Dan. It's, it's fantastic. Well, thanks, man. I mean, it is, it's a layer of love. Um, it took me a little bit over a year. Interestingly, at work, uh, we're given an assignment to write down a personal goal and then we were supposed to spend an hour in this meeting writing down how we were going to get to the goal. And so you couldn't just fake it and be like, you know, hey, I want to be the second baseman for the Cubs. You had to actually sit down and write how you were going to do it. So I took that hour and and wrote down how I was going to publish a book. And um, when I was done, I kind of looked at it. And, and to me, it just said, you can do this. Like that hour, if I hadn't done, if I hadn't spent that hour, I think I probably would have agreed with you that maybe it was a little over my head or that there was, um, you know, not enough content or whatever. But um, as I went back and re-listened to a host of the episodes, I mean, a lot of episodes on this podcast, I just continued to be amazed at, you know, how smart the people are that we talk to, uh, the great ideas that they have, and frankly, that things kind of added up to, there are some similar things that all of these great companies are doing. And that's really what the book is about is, is, uh, and you and I talked about sort of when we were dining together one time that, you know, there was really, we numbered eight different things uh, that eventually became my eight steps to winning at social customer care that were fairly consistent across the best of the best. And, you know, as our listeners know, uh, this podcast has never been about bashing the companies that are doing it wrong. It's about celebrating the companies that are doing it right. And that's why I think it was, even though it took a year, it was easy to write this book because it was really fun to kind of go back and re-celebrate all the successes that that all the, the, the companies that we've interviewed have had, but also lean back on the experience that I've had at two major brands doing this every day. So, you know, there is a sense of, I feel like I know this stuff because I've done it, I've been in the trenches, but I have that added benefit of learning from you and learning from 
you know, again, more than four dozen other people that we've talked to. Yeah, fantastic. Well, so let's, I mean, let's jump into to the eight steps. You've talked a little bit about you know, how you kind of build out some use cases or some examples from each of the guests. Um, let's run through what they are and kind of talk through some of the things that you really took away from the podcast. So step one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, step one is um, really about building a philosophy. And I think, uh, you know, you and I talked a lot about this, uh, that it's so important when you start off to really encapsulate what it is you're trying to do and why you're there. And that helps build the passion. And, you know, hopefully our listeners have heard over the years that you and I have a passion for this topic and that that our guests have passion. But that passion has to be born out of something. And uh, usually that's some sort of philosophy. And, uh, you know, I I went back and, and looked at kind of the things that that build a philosophy. And it's things like, you know, what is our brand voice? What should that look like in social media? You know, how often do we want to be available for customers? Do we need to be 24 seven? Or, you know, is our business one that can suffice with less than that? What social media platforms do we want to be on? Um, because a lot of companies, especially smaller ones, they just can't be everywhere. Even larger ones are starting to figure out that they have to focus their efforts to what extent are we able to empower our agents to solve problems and to engage with customers and even um, surprise and delight, et cetera. And I remembered going back, even back to our very first episode, uh, which was Natanya Anderson from Whole Foods. And something that she had said, you know, stuck out with me. I, I remember printing it out because I, I thought it was so powerful. She said, and I'm going to quote her now. She said, I want people to have such great experiences with our customer care team that they want to tell other people about how great the care was and then how much that makes them an advocate for Whole Foods Market. And I was like, wow, if that's what we can do in social media with our customer service is we can get people to talk about how great the service is and how much they advocate for our brands, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I think I find interesting in this philosophy space is the impact that in my opinion, overall kind of company culture and com- and brand purpose or you know, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you want to refer to it as. I, I found that a lot of the brands that really wowed me and when we asked them about you know, how they sold it internally, very rarely is it, was it a kind of a consultant led business case type approach. It was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, it was an easy sell because it was fundamentally the right thing to do. It, it ties into our values, our mission, our purpose, whatever it might be. That definitely, you know, was the case at Hyatt. And I remember brands like um, Buffer. I don't know if you remember Dan, but Buffer actually sent both of us care kits after after the meeting and after the podcast. And we had Buffer T-shirts and Buffer notebooks. And they were saying that's the stuff that they have on hand to send out to their fans when they're engaging with them on social. Not necessarily to right or wrong, maybe to right or wrong, but also to to double down on a right or just to you know, share some brand love around. And so for me, it was it's really a lot, a lot of these companies, I think, social just happens to be the place that has emerged as an opportunity to do this. But if it, if it had been something other than social, I feel that some, someone else in some other department would have known to step up into it because of these overarching kind of company cultures and, and values and, and what they prioritize and how they make business decisions. And that, that's always kind of stuck with me, I think, as we've gone through this. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that customer service expert Shep Hyken said on the podcast that I have not forgotten is that companies have to compete on one of two things. You either compete on price or you compete on something else. And that something else is always some part of the customer experience. 
And I think that, you know, one of the themes that we've heard over and over again is that companies that are doing customer service well in other channels greeted social media with excitement and enthusiasm and passion because this was just another channel where they could do what they're already doing well and they could show the world that they were doing it well. So companies like T-Mobile and Zappos that we've had on the podcast that the whole company is born out of service first, you know, social just is a great opportunity for them to almost exacerbate that. But for companies that have had trouble in customer service and, you know, and have long hold times on the phone or don't answer emails or et cetera, social media can be very, very difficult and risky because if you can't get it right there, you obviously face the penalties. And that's a really good point. I guess the whole thinking, I'm thinking back in my head through the podcast, I can't think of a single brand that we spoke to ever used the word like threat or scary or any of that stuff it, it was just very natural for most of them absolutely i'm with you cool and step two well step two is about picking the right technology and you know this is a really really critical part of the puzzle because if you don't have the right technology it's pretty hard as soon as you get to a certain volume level to keep track of everything, to thread your conversations, to find mentions that might not be direct mentions, to make sure that your agents aren't colliding with each other, you know, answering the same tweet two different ways, et cetera. And so you do need some underlying technology. And so that step, you know, really what I talk about are the three different kinds of technology that, that, you know, you and I both know from doing this in our careers, but also um, from talking with multiple guests. And those are either sort of the, the, the free mass subscription ones, which are, you know, fine for smaller companies that, that really help you to uh, create cues based on keywords and do your kind of minimum amount of social listening, but at least put them in the right place so that you can respond to them. You have these all-in-one enterprise solutions, which are these big companies that, frankly, most of them started off, not all of them started off as publishing platforms. They then realized that they needed to add on uh, customer service. And so in some cases, that was done well. And in some cases, it was done less than well. But I think those companies have absolutely, in the last you know year, two years, have really doubled down on the customer service elements of their platforms. And then you have a couple of platforms that really were born out of the call center and that were created solely for customer service agents. And we've been fortunate enough to have two CEOs on our podcast, uh, one of each of the two top dedicated service providers, which is a conversational. And we had CEO Joshua March on one of our episodes and then Spark Central. And we had uh, CEO Davey Kestens. And not surprisingly, uh, especially in this chapter, I quote those guys a lot. Certainly, they have an opinion that the service-only platforms are the best way to go. But I do try to lay out the pros and cons of all of them because, you know, frankly, a lot of people that I talk to that are avid listeners of our podcast are not at big enough companies or don't have big enough budgets to afford platforms like that. And so you got to go with what you can afford. But there's no question that the technology is going to help lead the way in terms of executing everything else. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because I feel that, you know, those, those two platforms that you mentioned, both of those have been on journeys over the kind of duration of this podcast as well. I and mean, we've got to know various folks at both companies fairly well over the years. And I, th- I think it's, it's been interesting seeing you know, as, as our knowledge has matured through the podcast and, and through the network we've been able to create behind this, 
it's been interesting seeing the technologies become you know, more and more sophisticated and more and more tailored towards, as they both say, that, you know, serving that mobile audience through contact centers. Well, absolutely. And I think one of the things I, I mentioned in the book that's that's really important that I think you have to look at, no matter who you choose as your technology provider, is their innovation roadmap and making sure that your technology provider is not standing still because we know social media is not standing still. It feels like on almost a biweekly, monthly basis, Twitter or Facebook are announcing some new functionality that is helping enable engagement between brands and customers. And you want a technology provider that can jump on that quickly and that can offer it to you the day it launches or the day after it launches and not have to be sitting there for six months while other companies are using that functionality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's really good advice for anyone who's you know, undertaking an RFP in the social care space or even you know, for a broader technology platform. I think a lot of people focus on you know, their immediate needs, their features, that sort of thing. And I've always said both roadmap, which you know is important, but also even kind of cultural and personality fits. Like I think I think it's road roadmaps are directional at best, and, and you know, the, the companies will say that as they present them to you. So it's really important, I think, that you you take their roadmap, and then you also take the relationship that you feel that you have with them, and whether or not you feel that you'll be able to influence that roadmap moving forwards. And I know, you know, both you and I have worked with 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 either one of the, of the two uh, bigger technologies in the space. And I know both of them are companies that are really happy having relationships with clients where they're getting feedback and developing product features on the back of that, which is definitely something that as you're going through this RFP process, you need to have an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that I would say the majority of the guests that we've had on this podcast have been clients of one of those two. True. Uh, and they've, you know, both of them have been very kind to uh, give us some references and, and help us find uh, podcast guests as well. Absolutely. Cool. So technology's done. What's next? All right. Well, after we have our philosophy and our technology, it's about selecting the right team. And this is a, a fun part because this is about the people that are going to be on the front lines talking to customers every day. And, you know, one of the key questions that I talk about in the book is whether you want to focus on the skill set of a customer service agent or the skill set of a social media person. And again, pros and cons of each. But I think one of the things that at least I came up with and, and certainly supported with uh, a number of um, quotes from interviews that we've done is that it's reasonably easy to teach people social media. Even if you've never been on Twitter, sit down with somebody for uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes and you could pretty much uh, show them the essence of what it takes to be on Twitter. It's pretty dang difficult to teach customer service. And a lot of the skills that you're looking for are innate. And there's some awesome, awesome stories in the book that came from our podcasts. You know, you probably uh, remember Scott Wise from Scotty's Brew House, who I think left tears in both of our eyes at some of his emotional stories. And so he plays a pretty big role in helping to identify the kinds of people that you look for in hiring. Shep Hyken had some awesome examples as well on the podcast from his own experience. And he tells a wonderful story about uh, when he was a, a youngster working at a gas station and uh, you know a lady wanted help pumping the gas and she was a really old lady and it was super cold outside and uh, but it was not a full service it was a self-service gas station and so he went out and helped her and got yelled at by his boss 
And he had to tell his boss as a teenager that, you know, hey, this is how we're going to keep this customer and why she's going to come back is because we were willing to help her. And it's interesting that, you know, that mentality is very, very difficult to teach. But the book definitely goes through a whole bunch of characteristics that you look for in hiring for social care. Some of them are very familiar if you have hired for customer service before, and others are very particular to social media, things like being able to write well and asking for writing samples, um, and in particular, in particular, being able to write tight, as my high school English teacher used to say, because in Twitter, you've got to obviously cram a whole lot of information in an answer back into 140 characters. And so it is important that people can say what they want to say uh, in a very concise way. So that chapter walks through kind of what you're looking for as you're hiring. And yeah, what's the, the famous quote, right? The um, I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. I, I always think, <laughs> you know, it's very easy to, it's very, very hard, sorry, to be concise when it comes to getting your point across. And Obviously on Twitter especially, but even you know, even even on the platforms where you're not where you're not limited by the the character count, consumers aren't coming to you looking for you to write War and Peace. They're looking for you to be short, succinct, get them what they want, and get them back on with their days. So so you've got the team. Next is is one of my favorites, training. So what what did you learn about training from this experience? Well, I know it's one of your favorites, and and, and usually, ironically, you are the one that got to ask that question of many of our guests. But you know, as I said before. These are folks that are your front line. And so not only is selecting the right ones really important, but making sure that they are adequately trained both on your company and its products and on the customer service channels that they're going to be playing in. So it is important that, and this is where we get to that difference again between social media and customer service, you may end up hiring a bunch of people that are super good at customer service. In fact, a number of people, Lori Meacham from JetBlue sticks out, uh, told us that they hired almost exclusively internally because they wanted to get people that they knew were good working with customers. And they said, we'll teach you social media. So a lot of the training often, frankly, is around social media. It's around the technology that you've used because that platform is generally not the same platform that agents are used to in other areas. It's really also introducing this idea of public customer service. And the reality is, sure, every once in a while we read an article on Mashable about somebody that recorded a a telephone conversation with an agent that went south. But In reality, most customer service interactions are one-to-one, and now all of a sudden you're putting people out and they're performing customer service in public. And in reality, even though a lot of companies are hesitant to call them this, they're really becoming spokespeople for the company. And so there is a PR element as well to the training that is really necessary. It doesn't necessarily happen on other channels uh, just because it isn't as relevant. So we talk a little bit about that as well. And I give again, what I love about the book is that it's rich with examples and they're not my examples. They're, they're all of the great guests that we've had on the podcast. So again, I go back to Scott Wise. I don't know if you remember, but he shared with us this card that he gives to all of his employees that has 20 things on it that encompasses what he feels their restaurant chain is all about. And it's really basic things. It's, it's things that you teach your kids, open doors for people, be polite, remember your manners, Trying and making a mistake is better than not trying at all. And he asks that his employees carry this around with them as a reminder, which I thought was really powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And then the the next step, not to rush through it, but I think I feel like it ties into training so much, which you know, when we talked about 
the training, obviously, you've got the kind of core soft skills, and then you've got training and education around the more tangible elements, um, which is which is often referred to as process. I know, you know, we've we've had lots of conversations around around the need for process, and 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 not necessarily the need for process as in a a finite yes, you need it. It's it's finding the balance, right? It's finding what's the right amount of process so that your team feels safe, but not too much process so that they feel bogged down and unsure of themselves and unsure of what they can do. So, so what do you cover in, in the next step, the, the process step? Well, I'm glad that you uh, you still feel similarly to when you said on a podcast, and I quote, your process should be enough to stay safe, but not too much to slow you down. There we go. <laughs> so, so there you are in the in the book. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, pro- the process chapter is definitely the longest one of the steps. And frankly, if I ever write another edition of the book, you know, it'll get longer because there's so many things that can encompass the process. And, and you're absolutely right. It can't slow you down, but it does have to keep you safe. And, and so what I talk about really is that, and frankly, you're, you're totally right that this, this and the training chapter go hand in hand because some of this stuff you learn once and you get it. And others, you kind of have to make sure you go back and revisit, massage the process, maybe change some of your thoughts on on how you want people to answer based on the evolution of the channel and and uh, the different people that you have on your staff and the types of questions that you're getting. So we talk about things like establishing some rules around when to take discussions off channel. Obviously, we've advised many times on this podcast, it's best to service couple. It is best to service customers in the channel that they want to be serviced in. And if they approach you in, in social media, that channel is obviously social media. But there are lots of times where you need to go off channel. And we talk about going to DM, which is sort of quasi off channel. And we also talk about the times where you may have to go to telephone or email, which hopefully you can minimize. But there's certainly, that's a great thing to document as part of your process. I talk a lot about escalation procedures. I think we had some pretty good examples on the podcast and, and certainly, you know, crises are something that get covered quite a bit in the media. And so people are, are pretty aware of when things go bad, but we talk about when to call other people in the organization for help. Things like, you know, calling your management or calling the PR department or human resources. I know, you know, I've personally had a couple of uh, episodes where people have posted on our Facebook channel about employees and or our employees are posting. And and so, you know, knowing what to do and who to talk to when that happens. Unfortunately, I've also had scenarios in my career where we've had to call the police. And uh, so I talk about that and, and what to look for and, you know, what to do in a crisis. And then, you know, other things like a couple of times in the book, we talk about responding to compliments. You know, I'm a believer that that a compliment by a customer in a public channel is a gift and that responding to that is really important because it, it, it's sort of, it's a thank you. It makes the customer feel good. Certainly in channels like Twitter, there's a bit of a badge value to having a brand call you out uh, in a positive way. And so I talk about that because that's not something that most customer service agents have to learn. I mean, how many times do you think uh, people call an 800 number just to tell a company that they're doing a great job? I doubt it happens very often, but yet it happens all the time in social. On the flip side... 20 minutes to tell them how good a job they're doing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And on the flip side, I also talk about dealing with trolls. And um, that's probably the question that I get the most when I talk to people outside of the podcast, you know, how to handle somebody that is, that's trolling one of your social channels. 
I also talk about some platforms, specific decisions, things like, you know, which go into your process, things like deciding on one handle versus two in um, Twitter, et cetera. Uh, and finally, there's a piece where we talk about proactive customer care, which, you know, there's not as many examples, but I think that the companies that are doing this, it's really, really impressive. And not surprisingly, you know, there are some that have been on our podcast that are uh, doing it really well. One that stuck out to me was Duke Energy. And what Madeline told me on the podcast was that, you know, when they know that bad weather is happening, they post it and they tell people, hey, you know, storms are coming. You know, it's possible that we're going to have power outages. You know, we'll get to them as soon as possible. Don't worry, we're here. And, you know, what she said is that they've gotten fantastic results and engagement from doing that because people feel like we're there for them. That's what she said. That was a quote. And that we're prepared. And so definitely proactive care, I think, is a part that, again, you know, maybe six months ago, I wouldn't have included in a process document. And now I would. And so six months from now, I'm sure there'll be something else. Of that, you can be 100% sure. And then so moving on to step six, which I think we've referred to historically as the kind of last of the beginner steps, if you will, the, the kind of core steps before you get into the more advanced elements. Exactly. And that's uh, that's reporting. And obviously, this is critical because we've got to show the value to management, especially because in a call center, you've got usually in most companies that are not sort of born digital, you've got 90 plus percent of the resources going to the telephone channel. And so it's really important that the reporting and social be robust. So um, this chapter looks at all of the metrics that you should be reporting on. They do go beyond the vanity metrics and social media and and really talk to, you know, thankfully, there's a lot of metrics that do have equivalents in other channels. And I think that's really helpful because it means you can speak the language of some of your maybe uh, tenured customer service executives. And then there's also some metrics that I think are particularly social based, but which really show the power of the channel. And, you know, one of them that, that sticks out to me on that is what I call post-service engagement. And this is something that we tracked at Discover. And I was absolutely floored by what we saw. So post-service engagement takes a look at all of the social media engagement metrics, the likes, comments, retweets, etc., that happen after the customer service engagement is over. So uh, Dan Moriarty tweets at a brand and the brand responds back and answers and resolves his problem. And now is when the clock starts on post-service engagement. So does Dan write back and say thanks? Does Dan retweet it? Does Dan tell his friends? Does he continue the banter, etc.? And what we found at Discover that was absolutely amazing is that in both Facebook and Twitter, consistently, we saw a greater than 100% engagement rate post-service. And that means that there was an average of more than one additional step, a like, favorite, you know, retweet, comment, for every single customer service engagement. Uh, and that could be the same person or it could be other people that were watching the engagement coming in and liking it or commenting and saying great service or whatever. And when you compare that to marketing metrics, you know, where you're really happy to have single digits in terms of engagement rate. And, you know, certainly if you do paid, you should say you should see higher than that. But nowhere in any channel do you see north of 100 percent engagement rate. So that's why, why I really like that particular metric. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, something that I think we've talked about a lot is the, the kind of 
added marketing benefit, if you will, that comes off the back of being seen to do the right thing by your customers. And I think the post-service engagement tracking is is one of the easiest, but also best metrics that really kind of helps bring that to life to folks that, that you know inside these big brands that don't quite fully understand what it is we were doing. Exactly. And then, so as, as we said, you know, that's, that's really the, the, I don't want to say basic six steps because they're definitely hard, but th- those are the core six steps might be a better word for that. And you know, the next two were really the ones that, that the businesses who are, who are just absolutely killing it were, were really, you know, trending into these areas. So why don't you quickly run through, uh, seven and eight and let us know what those are. Yeah, sure. So this is about integrating social customer care into the rest of the business. That's uh, that's step seven. And what that really means, the core of that is making sure that you're using social media as a feedback loop. And that might be to identify customer pain points and um, not just respond to the customer saying, hey, we're sorry, and let's try to make up for it, but actually going back to your company and figuring out what's causing that that pain point and eliminating it so that you reduce customer service inquiries. That'll also make your operations center executives happy because that becomes sort of a cost savings measure. So we definitely talk a lot about that, but also positive comments uh, or suggestions about your products. Uh, We had a number of people on our podcast that talked about using customer feedback to improve or create new products. You know, I remember Otterbox had said that they were hearing a lot of customers talking about, believe it or not, taking their phones in the shower to listen to music. And that prompted an idea of creating a waterproof case, which Otterbox previously didn't have. I thought that was a really, really interesting way to integrate into uh, with the rest of the business. And then, you know, step eight is integrating with your CRM. And, and that is really about making sure that we remember our interactions with our customers and that that memory shows itself in a future engagement, whether that's on social or somewhere else. And your old industry hotels is a great example of that. And uh, I remember, you know, the first time you sort of talked to me about this, you talked about the, the guest who wanted a hypoallergenic pillow. And, you know, the idea is, is that if that guest tweets at you and says, I'm going to be at the Grand Hyatt San Diego next week and I need a hypoallergenic pillow, it's one thing for you to respond back and say, no problem, Mr. Moriarty, we'll have that pillow for you. It's quite another if four or five weeks from now, Mr. Moriarty is in the UK staying at a different Hyatt and that pillow is there waiting for him without him asking. And that's really about integrating in with the CRM. And I think what's interesting about that is that it really goes both ways because that first request for the pillow may have have originated on the phone or in an email or on the website. And so when that information is shared with uh, the social team, that helps them respond to inquiries out in public as well. So lots of uh, great examples. Again, we've just, you know, I don't mean to overstate it, but we've had so many great brands on this podcast that are doing this really, really well. And and on the last one, I kind of refer to the CRM one as the holy grail because uh, there's very few companies that are doing this consistently well. And and one of the ones that I talked a lot about, and unfortunately, uh, you were not part of this episode, Dan, but I interviewed Monty Hamilton at Telstra, which is uh, Australia's leading telecommunications company. You know, he told me something that absolutely made me fall off the chair, which was that they've set it up so that whenever you contact them, you talk to the same customer service agent no matter what channel you contact them in. So if you talk to Sally on the phone yesterday and then you tweet in two days, they 
find Sally and they have Sally respond to your tweet. It's absolutely amazing, but it creates this personalization that is absolutely unmatched so that Sally is like your person and you know that she's there for you when, when you need help. So again, as you mentioned, it's a very advanced step, but there are companies that are getting there. And I think that one of the things that is true about social is that it's never standing still. And so social itself is getting more advanced and companies are going to continue to strive to be best in class. And that, that ball's moving. And so I think that's, it's really interesting to hear about brands that are doing pretty amazing things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think with a CRM, you know, one thing I'd add and, I think you and I have had this, this conversation or this example at, at some point, which is, you know, when, when you and I have a conversation, when, when Dan to Dan, we have a chat, we both remember it. You know, it, it's something that it, it's real. It happened to two people. There's, there's a human element to it. Brands obviously increasingly are trying to act human on these social platforms. They, they want to be thought of as, as a friend, a reliable family member of these, of their customers. But the reality is without some sort of CRM integration or, or some good technology, that conversation is forgotten the next time the guest comes and, and talks to a different agent. But to the guest, it's not forgotten. You know, the, the, the guest or the customer in non-Hyatt language, the customer remembers that they've tweeted with you before. They remember that they've had this engagement. They remember that they've shared certain pieces of information with you before. And there's nothing that's more frustrating than in real life when you meet someone that you know you've met before and they've forgotten who you are. And I think the, the same kind of emotional connection can be made there by really showing someone that you remember them and that you've, that you've taken something they told you and you've done something tangible with it, and not just, that, again, that first time, but moving forwards. So it's a fantastic eight steps, Dan. Uh, I think great job for you know, dividing out the examples and really kind of fleshing out those steps and those chapters with, with real, tangible, multi-brand examples. And then obviously you, you just mentioned you know, the, the, the moving able, the world kind of shifting around brands as they're trying to get good at this stuff. That's where you end the book. You, know, you, you talk a bit about the uh, proliferation of messaging apps and the future of c- social customer care. So why don't you maybe quickly run through you know, a couple of the things that, that you really found interesting in those final chapters or, and obviously the, the social care space in general? Well, you know, you and I have talked about this on the podcast and certainly our discussions with uh, Josh March and Davey Kestens, I think really were great episodes and, uh, you know, rich with uh, information and predictions on where we might be going. And no question, messaging apps are here to stay. And I think that actually addresses some of what you were just talking about is that there is this persistency in messaging apps that makes it easier for the agent and the customer to remember previous conversations because they're there. Just like you know, when you text somebody uh, and you haven't texted them in six months, the first thing you see on your screen is the text that you sent them six months ago. And so that persistency, I think, is going to really help and make that experience even better. Of course, with messaging apps have come messaging bots. And I do talk about bots in the one of the last chapters. And quite honestly, this is something that I'm nervous about because I'm afraid that some companies will look at bots as a cost savings mechanism, a way to not have to hire as many quality human beings to talk to customers. And I think that's going to be a really bad decision. That said, bots absolutely have a place. Uh, I think two places where I see them being very effective are for very basic questions or repetitive questions. Somebody wants to know, do you have any hotels in Cincinnati? You don't need a human to tell me that. And so a bot would be great for that. But the other thing that I'm really interested in is bots 
actually helping agents rather than helping customers. And so it's this idea of if you think about a customer service agent in a call center, most of them, if you've ever been in a call center, most of them have multiple screens in front of them. They have sticky notes on their screens. They have all these hacks that they've created where they open up Microsoft Word, they copy and paste from a document and all this stuff. And a bot could do all of that for them. And if you think about, you know, Watson and how powerful it is and the, how, how much data it can crunch in mere seconds, what you could create is a scenario where really all the agent has to do is sit there and talk to the customer. And they don't have to be multitasking, looking up accounts and trying to solve issues because the bot can help them do that. Uh, but, but you keep this human face. And so, that's frankly where I see things going eventually. And again, I think the companies that treat it the right way, not as a cost-cutting device, but as a experience-building device, are really going to change the game. And, you know, we come back here in a year, and I think that the climate in social care is going to be completely different, just as it was a year ago from today. Uh, you have to write another book, then. Yeah, that, that'll be great. <laughs> I better start now. <laughs> well, mate, I mean, again... Massive kudos and, and respect to you for for taking the time and, and the effort and the kind of personal commitment that you've gone through to write this book. And yeah, even even though obviously I had, I had uh, nothing to do with the book, I, I look at it with a lot of pride that that someone I know and something I worked on together with you has, has resulted in something so so permanent. So very very well done, Dan. Well, thanks, thanks man. I, I do appreciate it, and obviously I could not have done it without you. And and it has really been. A lot of fun doing this podcast with you. I've missed you uh, since you've been with the Bulls, but uh, totally understand that there's only so much time in the day. But, you know, one of the things that you and I figured out about each other the first time we ever met was that we are both really passionate about this topic. And I think that what's been great is the people that we've brought on the podcast are equally passionate, if not more so. And that happens when you live it every day. And so, like I said at the start of this episode, I learned so much from other people. And really, you know, again, the book is not about Dan Gingas talking. It's really about me sharing what I've learned from all these other amazing brands uh, because I felt like it was really hard to get that only listening one episode at a time or only skipping around and listening to a couple episodes. And so I've kind of done the work of listening to all of them and encapsulating the learning. So I hope people like it. And uh, it was a labor of love. It does feel like an accomplishment. And again, it's uh, it's really been fun doing this with you. So I think with that, we're going to finish up episode 50 again. Oh, I Dan, Dan one, more, one more thing you have to do. You haven't told the guys where to get the book. That's a really good point, Dan. Thank you very much. You know, the marketer and me uh, completely right. got that. But uh, Winning at Social Customer Care is available on Amazon.com. And maybe by the time this podcast airs, but certainly if not, uh, soon after, uh, should be available at your other favorite bookstores as well. But please go to Amazon and uh, not only buy the book, but if you would be so kind after you read it, if you think it's great, leave a positive review. If you think it sucks you know, recycle it and, uh, and, and don't bother leaving a review. But uh, <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, because of the business that I'm in, I like feedback, positive and negative. So we can all learn from it. But anyway, thank you for reminding me of that. And uh, again, happy 50th episode. I'm unbelievably proud that we got this far. And so for Dan Moriarty, and uh, this is Dan Gingas again on the Focus on Customer Service podcast. Thanks again for joining us. 
We really appreciate you listening. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingus and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.